0: This is Podco Media Networks. It's the Demystifying Data Podcast with Chris Clegg, where we deconstruct the tools and techniques marketers need to make data more actionable. Here's Chris. Hello, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Demystifying Data. I'm your host, Chris Clegg. And it's that time of year. It's that time of year when we're all thinking about and talking about client satisfaction, client loyalty as an agency or as a brand. How well did we serve our clients and customers over the past 12 months? What are the things that we tried to do better this year? And what are the initiatives going to be for next year? What are the things that we're going to do to keep our employees happy, to keep our customers and our clients feeling well served. Research plays a great role in that, and we often refer to it as brand health research. There are a couple of different ways to approach it, and I thought this would be a good opportunity to share with you an approach that we favor here at Portma. I would start by saying that what is often couched as satisfaction research should really be thought about as dissatisfaction research. Because there is a lot of good feeling that can come from compliments when you learn about the things you're doing well or why you're appreciated or what are the things deriving high advocacy those feel good, and it's great to get that pat on the back, but it is completely unactionable. There's no nothing you can do to get better from compliments, other than maybe thinking about doing the same thing or, or not changing those things. But that's already in your nature, because that's what you're good at, and that's what you're getting complimented for. Where improvement comes from is when you peel back the layer and you look at what hurts folks. What are the things that are the points of pain? What are the things that people wish... Were different. And the secret to actionable brand health research, the secret to actionable client or customer satisfaction and loyalty research is finding a way to get at those problems in a way that's safe, that's not going to cause PR issues. And that certainly isn't going to erode morale internally. And so there's a process that we've championed and had a lot of success with. And I thought it'd be helpful to share that process with you. What I want to do is I want to walk through what a questionnaire might look like. And I want to start with what the invitation email should be and then how the question might flow. And I'll group the questions into some categories and then kind of explain what's the analysis plan for each of those categories. And how do you think about the way the data is analyzed so that it's actionable? It starts with this invitation email. The invitation email to the survey should come from somebody who's recognized at the agency or at the brand. It should be somebody who is in a leadership position. And oftentimes, it's great to position that communication as a thank you and an opportunity to hear how things can get better. If you have the ability to talk about what you plan to do with the information, if you can make any commitments to follow up and share what you've learned and the initiatives coming out of it, you really want to solidify in the respondent's mind that this is more than just a passing exercise. This is different than everything else that they've seen and that this is going to be an initiative that you're asking for their help in. And really getting response to a survey is like getting response to any kind of marketing. You have to propose a value proposition that's greater than the respondent's cost to participate. In many cases, when you're talking to customers, they already have a vested interest in you being good at what you do because they are a partaker of your services or products. And so if you can talk about improving that experience for them, it's worth five, 10 minutes of their time to offer some information on how to do that. The degree to which you can't create that value proposition greater than the cost to participate, you've got to fill in that gap with money. You've got to incentivize them to do so. And incentives with consumer research, you know, we find a a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card to be as good as any in upping your response rate. And still, if you're getting response rates that are anywhere close to 10%, you're doing great. On the B2B side, and as you move more closely into B2C, where the customers have a close relationship to you as a brand or as an agency, then you're gonna to start to see those response rates go north of 20%. If you're exceeding 30% response, You're doing something really special. And then when it comes to employee research, you know, you think you should see 100% response, but you never do. And even the best scenarios around employee research, we see response north of 60%, really, rarely going beyond 70%. But it all boils back to that value proposition that you can communicate in the email by coming from somebody of authority. And then promising confidentiality is powerful. Promising anonymity is even more powerful. And then using a third party to collect that data can help reinforce the sincerity around the anonymity and, and confidentiality. And, and therefore, it's going to kind of help all of those things. We tend to underestimate how important promising that responses are anonymous are to respondents. And especially when you're looking at customer satisfaction, client satisfaction, or really employee research, that becomes all the more important. So now we've got them to open the email, we've got them to click through to the survey, and they're presented with a set of questions. And the first set of questions really should get right to the promise that you made up front about understanding where to do better, and that is by presenting the respondent with a set of problems that they might have experienced. And this is where a lot of folks panic, and they say, no way can we do that. No way can we uh, advertise or let people know the areas where we might be making mistakes. And this This is where, as a company or as a brand or as an agency, being vulnerable is incredibly powerful. And I would suggest you open that first question with something like, you know, we all know that when anyone has an ongoing relationship, questions or concerns can arise. And I'd like you to read the list of areas below and check any of the questions or concerns that might have been related to your experience with us in the last 12 months, last six months, last three months, whatever is relevant for what you're trying to do. And, and then you want to bring them through a set of items that are very matter-of-fact, they're not overblown, and they are organized around the life cycle of their relationship with you. And so if they have an a information-gathering process, a purchasing process, a delivery process, and then a follow-up process, for example, then you want to, you want to have those those four or five sections laid out, and then maybe three or four things that could go wrong in a kind of a matter of fact, brief language under each section. And then invite them to check any of the ones that might have applied to them. Give them the option to put in other. And then when you're finished, add a question that says, you know, if you checked more than one above, what would you say was the primary question or concern that you had over the last 12 months or, the over, or that you checked above? And and what this is going to do is this is going to give you a sense of frequency of challenges and priority of challenges. So if if somebody has more than one, what's most important to them? And really, what's the overall frequency of things that possibly could have gone wrong over the past year? And then you recode those others however you need to, and you get a good sense of what you're working with. It'll also give you the opportunity to understand those that didn't have any question or problem. And so you can get a rate of your overall base that are having some kind of challenge to begin with. And then the next question set really has to do with their experience after they recognized that they had that problem. So so did they contact you? Who did they contact? And what was their experience with that contact? And I would put in there also, you know, how hard was it to get to somebody who could help address their issue? Did it take multiple contacts, lots of messages, multiple emails, or was it something that happened very efficiently? And when thinking about how the person they reached out did in resolving the issue, you're really looking at some items. I mean, there's certainly items around empathy and and understanding of the problem and those kinds of things, but it really also has to do with, did the person they talked to have the authority to resolve the issue and whatever that might mean for your organization? And so you've got these set of questions or problems that might have come up, questions or concerns. You've got if they contacted and what their experience was when contacting. What you're going to find is you're going to find that people that had no problems whatsoever – because they didn't have a problem, they didn't contact for assistance, you're going to find those people have a certain level of baseline, satisfaction, loyalty, recommend intent. But you're going to find those that had a problem, reached out, and was happy with how that problem was resolved, you're going to find them to have a higher level of satisfaction, loyalty, and recommend intent. And that's really the way life works for us. And you can certainly tie that to your personal experiences. You know, if you buy a product at a store and that product falls short of your expectations and you go to bring that to the store for a return, if that return process goes smoother than expected, is handled very well, the person who works with you is empathetic and understands the nature of the inconvenience that this caused you, that's actually going to give you a more favorable light of the store than you would have had otherwise. And that's true across all of customer and client engagements with agencies and brands. Then you follow that with a set of questions that relate to those similar life cycle categories that you used earlier in the survey around problem experience or questions or concerns, you ask about those four, five, six categories, and you want to get a measure of their overall satisfaction with your performance in each of those areas. And then after you've done that, kind of ask them of which of those areas is most important to them. And what that gives you the ability to do is to, on a continuum, rate the areas of engagement that relate to the life cycle and how their satisfaction varies. And maybe that on those five items are laid across Across an x axis, across a, a row. And then you can look on the y axis up, down. Which ones were more important, which ones were less important. And in doing that, you lay out a bit of a quadrant, and those items on the top right, high importance, high satisfaction, those are your strengths. And and areas of low importance, low satisfaction, those are areas to watch, but where you really want to focus for opportunities to improve, that has to do with those areas of low satisfaction and high importance. And when you've measured that in these attribute ratings combined with a which is most important type question, and you've found those areas of low satisfaction, high importance. And because those areas align with the questions and problem categories that you measured earlier, You can identify those areas that are potential hotspots for customers or clients and then go back to those questions and concerns and find out, you know, what are the things within this area that are most frequent and most associated with less than stellar contact experiences? And that starts to become a very actionable feedback loop for you where you can look to see, okay, where in the lifecycle of the touch points that I have with my clients and my customers Where am I falling short? And then what specifically am I doing that's causing that to fall short? Where are the points of pain? And how can those pain points be now the focus of my attention for improvement initiatives? And that's where this stuff starts to become very powerful. You know, there's an opportunity also to do some competitive question sets to understand among current clients and customers where you stand in the broader scheme of things. This could be really scary on the B2B side for executives in agencies and businesses on the B2B. And it's very powerful on the B2C side. It's powerful in both, but it's a little less scary on the B2C. But basically, it's a two question question set. And what you're asking is, you know, looking at the agencies or companies below, which do you believe is the all around best provider of XYZ product or services? And you invite them to check who is best. And the understanding is that they have experience with lots of different people in your category, they have experience with your company competitors and you want to understand how often you're the one cited as being best versus somebody else. And then you ask them, you know, thinking about the company you selected above, what are all the reasons why you would say they're the best? And then you go back through maybe a slightly expanded version of those four or five lifecycle stages and you ask them to rate based on billing or execution performance or planning process or the quality of the experience, those kinds of things, whatever those life cycle touch points are for you. And what you get from that is the ability to, first of all, figure out what percent of your current base believe you're the best versus a competitor. And then what are the things that you're strong on versus the competition is strong on? You can actually take the rate of which somebody cited an attribute as a strength for you versus the rate at which that attribute was cited as a strength for the competition. Do the math between the two and get a, an index measure of your relative strength or challenge in the market on that attribute. And when I say do the math, I mean do the subtraction. So if if somebody said that you were the best and of those that said you were the best, 60% said you were the best because of the quality of your product when somebody was citing the competition as the best, 40% said they were the best because of the quality of the product. Well, the difference between 60 and 40 is 20. And so for purposes of rank ordering the attributes, you can give yourself a competitive advantage of 20 points. And that allows you to look at the larger scheme of things of what's your role in the market and how you're performing in the market according to your customers and versus competition. And then you can align that back with what the customers prioritize from that satisfaction importance grid we just talked about. And then you can take that further and look back at the problem experience and get a sense of where are your opportunities and and all of this together starts to paint a very complete picture of what's going to matter and what's going to help you get better as a company or as an agency and how you serve the people you're serving there's a few other areas a few other things that are fun to do in these kinds of questionnaires these kinds of research studies But I'll finish with, I mean, obviously, you want to ask some baseline dependent variables, some outcomes that you're judging everything else against. And uh, traditional measures of satisfaction, of loyalty, of recommend intent are certainly very powerful. And then consider measuring your recommend intent on an 11-point scale from 0 to 10 so you can do a nice traditional net promoter score analysis. Net promoter score, just as a 30-second overview, you can certainly look it up. It's a lot of great stuff online about it. But you scored on a 0 to 10 where 10 is most likely to recommend and zero is least likely to recommend you look at those that score nine and 10 as your fans and you look at those that scored six or less as your detractors you take your promoters your nine or tens and you subtract your detractors six and below from your promoters nine and ten and out of that you get your net promoter score How the NPS comes together. And it's a pretty powerful measure. It's been used a lot. So there's a lot of benchmarking information available online about it by industry. And it's certainly a very interesting measure to track over time. It's also very interesting to cross-reference recommend intent with loyalty, because when you create a matrix of high recommend, high loyalty, low recommend, low loyalty, and you create a, a four quadrant around those two measures, you can start to get some psychographic profiles among your customer base, your client base, to understand, you know, what are the dynamics of those that are saying they're loyal, but they wouldn't recommend, or what are the dynamics of those that say they have a high recommend intent, but don't plan to use us in the future. And that can be some very telling and insightful profiles and ways of profiling your customers. But I won't go into that too much now. You know, the last question, set that I'm going to recommend before we wrap up is an open-ended question. There are a couple different approaches to that. For the most part, I recommend you minimize open-ended questions in your survey because they're a bit of a burden for a respondent to answer, so they add to this idea of respondent fatigue, and they also are a bit of a burden to analyze, to be very frank. But placed well and used strategically and in a limited way, they can be also a very powerful addition to your survey and provide enormous amounts of insight. And depending on who the dynamics you're working with and what kind of industry you're in and who you're asking to respond to the survey specifically, there's a couple different ways to ask this question. But basically, it's a question that is something like, you know, if you were the CEO of company XYZ for the day, what's the one thing that you would do to assure long-term customer satisfaction? Or what's the one thing you would do to improve the loyalty of clients in the future? Or you might even say, what's the one thing you would do today to assure that we're a viable source for, for companies like you in the future. And what you're doing is you're giving them a two or three lines to provide some open-ended feedback, and you're kind of asking them, you know, if you were in charge of everything, what's the one thing that you would do or not stop doing or do differently to make things better? In the context of everything else we just talked about, that becomes a very rich resource of information. And when you segment their responses to that question, by their recommend intent, so you have those that had high recommend or low recommend, and now you segment it by the CEO for the day kind of question, you can start to get a lot of flavor that really fills in the gap of your understanding of what is the universal experience and what are these trends you're seeing. And then when you bring all of this together and you organize it into initiatives for the subsequent year and you've got your KPIs, you've got the things you care about, you've got the two or three things that you now know are causing the greatest pain for customers, and that if you were able to fix, it can give you the greatest competitive advantage in the market. You've got this rich content around the CEO for the day question around some of the particulars and maybe even some case study information. You've got a very robust brand health, client satisfaction, client loyalty type of survey process. It's going to pay you dividends. You know, there's a whole methodology around tracking and how you track performance over the year once you've established those KPIs, and that's something we'll talk about in a subsequent episode. So I hope this was helpful. I hope that you are in the planning process for 2020 or beyond. I hope that you are able to get good feedback from your clients or customers so that that planning process can be one that is well informed. And yeah, give this type of approach, this dissatisfaction approach, some serious because I think it'll serve you very well if you can get over the initial scariness of it all. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you are not a subscriber to Demystifying Data, now's the time to subscribe. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. We publish every Wednesday. And as a subscriber, you're going to be able to get that information pushed to you and and not have to worry about missing an episode. I hope this is helpful. I hope you're having a good day. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Tune in next time as Chris Clegg continues demystifying data. Meantime, head over to demystifyingdata.co to learn more.